This message first aired on the radio on November 12, 2003. Because we've determined that in order to unveil the dispensation in which we live, it's a good idea to go through the epistles, especially the church epistles, beginning with the book of Romans. So that's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Romans, and we're going through it consecutively, and we're still in the first chapter. And today we're going to take up Romans chapter 1, verses 24, through Romans chapter 2, verse 2. And uh, that's not a lot of verses, but there's a lot of content here as the Apostle is opening up the great doctrinal opus which the book of Romans is. Now, you can read the book of Romans in 45 minutes. You can read it aloud in that time. If you're slow, you can read it in an hour. If you have trouble reading the Bible, and many, many people have trouble reading the Bible, let me give you a little hint. Read the Bible aloud. Read the Bible aloud. That will help you. And secondly, if you have trouble reading aloud, and many people do have trouble reading aloud, it's something that needs to be practiced. I learned it in school when I was young because we practiced a lot of reading aloud when I was a boy in school, and maybe you didn't practice that very much. Maybe you have a little trouble reading aloud, in which case, get a copy of the King James Bible and listen to somebody else. You can buy a recording. You can actually find recording of the Bible online and uh, listen while somebody reads it aloud and you read along with it. But whatever it is that will help you to read the Bible, do read it and read it consecutively and read it straight through a book because that is the full thought and a good way to study your Bible. We're going to read Romans 1, verses 24, uh, through Romans 2 2 right now. So if you've got a Bible, read along or just listen and uh, may God sanctify this scripture to you. Wherefore God also gave them up. Eh, you know, I need to give a context here. We're going to read verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed or traded the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And we took that up in detail yesterday, and uh, you can access the archive broadcast if you did not hear that, or you can just click on our website and we'll send it out to you in audio form or MPEG form. Now, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God or changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did exchange or change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat or which was fit. 
and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to minds void of judgment, or a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now we have quite a, a litany of sins, quite a commentary, just a really a horrible statement about some portion of mankind. In fact, it's a, it's a horrible commentary on all of mankind. And I'll explain why that is as we go through this. But uh, as you read this scripture, this, this long list of sins, the definition of sinfulness that the apostle gives, one thinks, what, a, what an awful litany of characteristics the kind of people we are. Now, we say we, but we contextualized this yesterday, and we're going to pull our context over and remind you about it, that what the Apostle's saying here is that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it does two things. So it's a power of God, but it does two things. Therein, that is in the gospel of Christ, there are two things revealed. The righteousness of God, and the wrath of God. And here we have him taking up detailed reasons why God's wrath is right. See, the gospel of Christ, if it's going to reveal the wrath of God and the righteousness of God, then it must, if God is going to have wrath, it must reveal to us the rightness of his wrath. And uh, here this book of Romans is a treatise, properly stated, a treatise, to lead our thinking into self-condemnation and self-abnegation and into a serious understanding, a full and complete and thoroughgoing understanding that we need to be saved from the wrath of God, which we also deserve because of the way we are. Now, here the Apostle lays out, and by the way, the Apostle lays it out in his writing, but of course God lays it out in his inspiration. God breathed the Word of God, and, and the Apostle Paul wrote it out with pen. He was the pen of a ready writer. He was God's pen in God's hand as he wrote the Scripture out. And you remember that we talked about that he's Saul of Tarsus and where he came from, and he knew 
what it was to be an arrogant, pig-headed, belligerent, hostile part of the intelligentsia of his day. He was Saul of Tarsus. And now uh, we know the context here is those who who knew God from the creation, he's, God is self-evident in the creation as the creator. He's self-evident. All men know that, but these arrogant, high-minded people, of whom Paul was one, once, have gone out of their way to refuse to acknowledge him or be thankful to him. And so they don't acknowledge God, but instead they acknowledge themselves. And remember, we found that they were professors, right? They're professors, rightly named here, verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I was thinking today, as I knew I'd be speaking on this topic further, why is it that Christian preachers want to be called doctor? Why do they want to be called doctor? Forget for the moment, set aside for the moment, that they go to institutions of alleged higher learning and obtain degrees whereby they're called doctor. Why would a Christian preacher today allow himself to be called doctor? It is the word for master. It is the word the Lord. It is one of the words the Lord says, "Don't call anybody." It is one of the words that that the Lord said, "Don't be called this." You have one father, your father in heaven, and you're all brothers. So don't don't let yourself be called master or teacher, doctor. Why is it that a preacher allows himself and even wants himself to be called doctor? I'll tell you why it is. Because there is in all of us this great desire to be somebody and to be prominent. It is one of the lusts of the flesh. And if we're not careful, we become addicted to it, and it's not enough to be called doctor. You know, you have to be called reverend doctor. And then and then you have to be called most holy reverend doctor. And the right reverend most holy doctor doctor. And uh what a what a perverse bunch we are. We want to be called professor doctor reverend. And uh this arrogance and high mindedness is of the flesh. Now when God is totally rejected, that's all you have. When God is acknowledged, you just have some of that. Well, I'll call it the superfluity of naughtiness. That's a King James Version. That overflow of the old nature that just hangs in with the new nature that God gives us. But here we see in the world, professor. And, uh, of course, this scripture says professing themselves to be wise. That doesn't mean that they're all college professors. But I think, you know, I'm just going to stick with it because I have so much experience with college professors. And then I thought today, well, maybe I sound like some kind of anti-education person. And I'm not against education whatsoever. I'm, I'm in favor of education. Let me boast for a minute. I've given much of my life to education. Not only have I practiced being an educator in school systems, I was an educator when I was in eighth grade. I taught seventh grade when teachers got sick. I taught in my when I graduated from my high school, I came back and taught economics to my former high school. I taught speech and debate in my former high school. And uh, when I went on in college, while I was in college, I taught journalism. I taught two classes of journalism while I was a journalism student. In fact, I taught journalism while I was flunking out of college. That's how uh, much experience I had. I have one year 
as a member of the University of Nebraska Board of Regents, uh, ex officio, non-voting member, because I was president of the student body of one of the campuses. And in so doing, I met very many educators, some who I had great respect for then and still do, others who were totally ridiculous. And this became unveiled to me as I knew the scriptures, God unveiling the Lord Jesus Christ to me, therefore opening my eyes on the arrogance that is our society, including higher education, so-called. Because most of higher education is comprised of content that refuses to acknowledge God and is this stuff that we're reading about in Romans 1. And you see there, in those fora, especially today, you can see among the intelligentsia of our society, it is as if we are the Roman society, you can see among the intelligentsia of our society these lusts running rampant. I saw it with my own eyes when I was quite young, and I see it even more now that I'm old. Now, let me just boast on a little bit further. I uh, went to a foreign country where I partnered up with the major technical university of that foreign country, and uh, by the grace of God, one brother and I, by believing God for good things, had a smashing, enormous success for information technology, the largest of its kind on the African continent. So I've been around academia. I also taught at a small school that did big things and uh, is uh, undoubtedly, in this past decade, has amassed the best football record of uh, any any school in the country. And uh, I think that's indisputable, and you can figure out who that is. Now, with that saying, and I'm, I, I apologize for my boasting, but... Uh, I'm going to boast in my own folly as one who knows that that which is esteemed highly among men in, in the way of education and so-called knowledge is despicable to God. And those who profess themselves to be wise without acknowledging God become fools, and they trade in the glory of God. And God made us to glorify himself. In fact, God made us in his own, in the likeness of his own image. And so the glory of God is Christ, and the glory of Christ is man. And when you refuse to acknowledge God and glorify him, there's no glory to Christ, and your glory as one who should be in Christ and believing in Christ is thrown away, is wasted. And when you refuse to give glory to God, he now responds, if I may anthropomorphize. And what is the response? Well, men refused to acknowledge God and instead worshipped and, worshipped and served the creatures and the creation over which they should rule instead. Worship it. Making images and worshipping images. And what does God do in response to that defection of man, that, that malady of mind, that arrogance? Well, with Nebuchadnezzar, he made him to be like a beast for a while. But he doesn't do that with everyone. That was a single thing. But, but he does give men over to their own desires, to their own desires. What God does is he turns men over to themselves. If men want to say that they are God, 
God said, well, then you be your own God. I will turn you over to you. And proud, arrogant, high-minded men lose their minds, literally, by rejecting the God who made the mind to know himself. We'll be back in a minute with more of this. If you're getting sick of it, wait till we go on in just a few minutes, just a few seconds. So we now see what God does, and judgment is God's strange work, but all his ways are judgment. It it may be a strange work, it's strange to us. It's a curious thing. But when men refuse to acknowledge God, and they're busy acknowledging themselves and making themselves to be God, and worshiping the creation instead of the creator, leaving him out, and puffing themselves up, professing themselves to be wise, God gives them up. He gives them up. He gives, uh, let me say, he gives us up. Because so are all of us. We all go that way, except the grace of God. That is the way that we would all go, except the grace of God. The Apostle Paul was going that way. John Malone was going that way. We all would go that way, except that we're saved from ourselves and the deserved wrath of God. So here we see, Wherefore, God gave them up. It's as if the Scripture says, you give God up, he gives you up, he turns you over. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, or their own thoughts. God gave men up. He did this in time past, so we have the past tense here used, because if we want to go look into this, we can find this in the Scriptures. We can find it in the Scriptures. We can find times past where God did exactly what this says. In fact, we can find numerous times where it happened. God gave them up to, the, to uncleanness when they refused to acknowledge him. Filthiness. The uncleanness, and it says now, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So, specifically, God turns man over to what they want instead of him. And let me tell you now, the Bible teaches us that what men want instead of God is they want the lusts of their flesh, especially in the way they turn their bodies over one to another. Now, this is this is difficult stuff to even talk about. This is difficult stuff to think about, and yet God has put it in the Scriptures for us to think about. And when we look at these Scriptures, we see ourselves. We see our own inclinations. Well, that's the, that's the frightening part. The frightening part of this is you dare not say, oh, I could never do that. You dare not say that. You could say, I never want to do, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be turned over to what I could be. That's a fair statement. But don't you dare say, I could never do that because we can all do this. And, and that's, a, that's the abyss of our own selves. 
People say, well, I don't believe in a lake of fire. I don't believe in eternal punishment. I don't believe in hell. Well, do you? can you believe in the depth of your own depravity? Can you understand how wicked you can be? That's, that's quite a thought. And go ahead and have that thought. And if it frightens you like it frightened me when I was a very young man, it still frightens me to think about it, even even. 30 years this side of salvation, nearly 30. Even though I know I'm saved from it, it's still quite a frightening thought, the kind of people we can be. Now, what do these people do? They, what do we do? Well, we, we exchange the truth. And this is, a, this is a, a, an intense form here where it says, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. There's, there's an intensity here that seems to indicate specific willfulness. They bartered, they bargained, they exchanged, they made a trade, they did a deal with the truth of God, with God's truth. They did a deal with God's truth and wanted the lie, actually decided for a lie, knowingly, and worshipped and served the creation more than the Creator. And let me tell you, you are not the Creator. You are part of the creation. And when you worship yourself, as these also do, they worship themselves and everything else except God. And when they do that, when men do that, they become turned over to the lusts of their own minds and become dishonorable in their bodies so that the scripture puts it, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And it shows up, therefore, in the behavior of men and women with one another. In the behavior of men and women with one another. When religion and departure, departure from God and the rise of human religion happen at the same time. That's why you see here they depart from God and they begin to worship other things. they got another religion, the religion of the earth. Yesterday I talked about environmentalism. I'm not talking about taking care of your garden. A diligent man takes care of his things. If, he, if he's a gardener, he takes care of his garden. Used to be everybody was a gardener. Today, nobody is. But a, a diligent man takes care of his things. And uh, it's not talking about that. It's not talking about taking care of things. This is not talking about being prudent and planting trees, which is a prudent thing to do. No, this is talking about worshiping the creation instead of the creator, leaving the creator out, and therefore another religion must fill that vacuum. I, I was in the university at the time when it was cool to begin to deny God and be atheistic in your speech and mind and discussions. And immediately as that began to permeate, College professors, students, and so forth started burning candles, making candles, getting into all kind of Eastern religious practice, Vedantism, other foolish things. Which, as I received Christ, I put away these foolish things, but I've seen them now grow up so that the universities today, the intelligentsia of society, is filled with all manner of bizarre stuff, anything but Christ. All manner of bizarre stuff. Religious behavior and sexual behavior that's perverse. Sexual behavior that's perverse and described in the Bible. 
just as it was in the time of the kings, just as it was in the time with, among the Amorites, just as it was as the children of Israel failed to go into the land, where they would begin to practice the heathen abomination religions around them, the next thing you knew, up rose sodomites throughout the entire society. Here the Bible talks about the the mental processes, in fact, the intellectual background that leads to the sodomite behavior. And here we have it. God caused them. For this cause, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave up on people... People refuse to acknowledge God. God gives them up to themselves. It is as if it's this, my friend. If you insist on having nothing to do with God, the fool in his heart says, no God, I'm having nothing to do with God. That's what the fool says in his heart. Here, when you have these kind of thoughts in your heart along with those lusts, God will turn you over to the lusts. I believe it was Thomas Huxley who turned from Darwinian evolution, which is no science whatsoever. I mean, no no, uh, no one involved with empiricism in any kind of serious way would ever subscribe to Darwinian evolution. Trust me on that, or ask them. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's incomprehensible, unobservable, non-scientific. And when he was asked, well, why did you, when he, he turned from it, he said, well, why did you go along with it? His answer was, well, we, we needed an alternative so we could, have the, we could uh, conduct ourselves sexually the way we want it to. And that's why, I'm uh, paraphrasing, but that's why the intellectual elites go along with this. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. It gets deeper than merely dishonorable lusts, but it goes to disgusting sodomite behavior even the women did exchange the natural use or or exchange the natural use for that which is against nature this is a a hostile intention against your own self in fact the bible teaches that such behavior is hostile to nature itself it's interesting that those who want to worship nature are against nature and those who worship the Creator are for nature. It's a, it's a strange turnabout, but it is the way it is. Uh, it's just the way it is. And so here now, uh, these who worship nature now go against nature. Women with women, even the women, exchange the natural use to that which is against nature. It's a very unhappy thing to see, but it's prevalent and growing. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, or having forsaken the proper use of a woman, burned in their lust toward one another. That is, they were inflamed with one another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. Now in times past, preachers would say, let's turn back and look at the time of uh, the days of Lot, and you'll see where that happened. And let's go back and look at the tribe of Benjamin, and you'll see where that happened. Let's look at the time of kings. you see there are sodomites in the land. A hundred years ago, that's, I suppose, what somebody would do, or even 50 years ago, and say, well, here's, you've got to see what this is talking about. But today, you see, this was, this was talking about things in the past, but applying. Well, 
Here we see now God not only turns men over to the lusts, their sexual lusts, but also turns men over to the result of the arrogance of their own minds. And one of the one of the things I notice now is I'm in my fourth quarter. I'm I'm in the last quarter. Uh, a couple years ago, I put my hand up in the air, put the number four up, said, you know, we're we're here for four quarters of play. As uh, as statistics go, I entered the fourth quarter. Of course, I don't know how much time I have left, but as statistics go, I've entered the fourth quarter. So I'm I'm strapping it on for the fourth quarter going to gut it out and uh, so forth all those purposes of heart which go nowhere but but in any case as i get older and i look to my peers especially those who continued on on the course that i was on until i until really until christ found me and saved me from myself and my sins when i see how my peers have done I say to myself, my goodness, my old friends are all losing their minds. And uh, one of the things I guess we've we've decided to live with as a society is that people just begin losing their minds. Now, you may say, well, when do people, well, old age, old age dementia, so forth. Yeah, old age dementia, beginning at about 35 or 40, I see young men men younger than myself and i'm no young man but i'm i'm certainly not ready for old age dementia you'll have to ascribe it to something else than that at least with me for now it is that they are losing all judgment minds void of judgment throwing away their wives and children pursuing their own lusts at all costs at all costs throwing away home, family, everything worthwhile, reputation, all their work, money, reputation, children, grandchildren, wives, down the drain in order to fulfill their lusts. And uh, then we have in this list a few things. I'll just pick a few things out that is so prevalent in our society that we we don't really need to be good students of history to understand this scripture because it's it's so much in our society covetousness for example everything about money i say our society but the whole world one thing the whole world understands is money in fact you can understand very many things just by understanding the lust for money in fact if you understand the lust for sex money and power you will understand why most things and how most things work in the world today malicious, evil intended toward uh, their neighbor or anyone else, fornication, it's in the list here, it's the order of the day. As uh, one political commentator said, it used to be when I was young, it was wrong to fornicate, it was okay to smoke. Now it's wrong to smoke, but fornication's fine. Fornication filling the society. So much so you talk to a young person say, well, you know, that's fornication. Yeah, so? Well, that's wrong, isn't it? Well, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's the state of things. Full of envy, backbiters, haters of God. But here, I want to come down to the to this thing here, because this one kind of 
just catches my eye, disobedient to parents. It's deep down in that list of evil things. But disobedient to parents becomes the order of the day. I was shocked when I read the Bible and learned, and, and I was a disobedient little boy. I was a disobedient young teenager. And I was a dis- disobedient young man. And I was taken aback to learn that such behavior in the Bible required a death penalty once in the, in the Society of Israel. I do not believe that that should be practiced. As you know, if you listen to this broadcast, I cut the Word of God straightly, or at least try, and break it out into dispensations. And I don't say that in this dispensation we had to conduct ourselves as if we're the nation of Israel, one nation under God. We are not. And yet, however, when we look and see what the penalty God ascribed to disobedience to parents was, and we see it was the death penalty, at least we can measure that is a very evil thing, though we may gloss it, and though we all do it. And so that's a very, that's a very great evil. And maybe there's a, just a young person listening today. And you're hearing this and you're saying, wow, you know, men are evil. I feel evil. I disobey my parents. That's right. That's an evil thing. But Jesus Christ died also for children that disobey their parents. He died for all. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel of Christ. Bad news to those who don't believe. Good news to those who do. What's the good news? The good news is I avoid the bad news. You cannot be saved except you are saved from something. And you are saved not just from some evil God imposes upon you. We are saved from evil, from the wrath that that we deserve because of our evil deeds. And that's the other side of the gospel. Now, men go to such a state who they even realize and they and and these are past reaching they realize that there's a judgment of god that is due to doing these things and that they're worthy of death but they not only do them but they promote it with others and i've moved in this society and that is done where evil is conscientiously systematically promoted as a defense now we come to romans 2 verses 1 and 2 and the the voice changes of the scripture. In fact, it changes from a third person, a past, to first person present. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. You have no excuse, O man, whoever you are that judges. For when the, you judge another, and, and that is regarding these things, don't you know you're condemning yourself because you do these same things? Now, in this list, you say, well, I mean, I, I don't know if I've done all of these things. Ah, you probably have. Of that list, you probably did them all. Uh, this list uh, that, I, that I refer to doesn't include the, the deviant sexual behavior described in Romans 1, 26, 27. But uh, probably did all of these things. And uh, you, you say, well, this is terrible. Shame on those people. Hey, shame on you. That's what the Bible says. You're an excusable old man, whoever you are that judge. Now, the Bible 
the Bible would encourage us to go ahead and judge and say, that's a wrong thing, but what's your excuse now? You've judged yourself. You do the same. You judge another. You condemn yourself. Now, let me tell you something, friends. I condemn myself. I got no problem with condemning myself. I have no problem with judging myself and saying, I'm wrong. I'm a wretched sinner. I've had people where I tell them, no, I'm, I'm that kind of a person. They go, well, no, you're not. You used to be. I say, no, no, I am that kind of person. I am that kind of person. Not you. Yes, me. Certainly. I know. They'll argue with me, Christians. Say, no, you can't argue with me. I know the kind of person I am. I've come to know. But you condemn yourself for that you judge, you do the same things. Now, let me tell you something. That's an appropriate behavior. Judge yourself, find yourself guilty. You judge yourself, you find yourself guilty, say, I'm guilty. Now what? Well, there's a Savior for you. The Lord Jesus Christ died to save you. He rose again from the dead. He's ascended to heaven that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life and be saved from this wrath that God justly will bring. Say, well, why hasn't he brought it? He hasn't brought it because he's waiting to save you. He's waiting to save you. He doesn't want to bring this. God wants to no one to be judged and, and to be in, in his wrath. It is his desire that none will perish, but some will because they will willfully, willfully continue in these things. Now, what is it about the Word of God brings this tale to two people equally guilty in it? One believes, the other doesn't. Well, we find that in John's Gospel. Why doesn't one? We don't know quite why one believes. <laughs> that we don't know. But one does believe. But we know why the other doesn't believe. The other doesn't believe because he loves the darkness rather than the light because his deeds are evil. And he just loves it. And he just wants it. And it is as if, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, it is as if that you will see the wrath of God because you want to. You would rather, you would rather be in the wrath of God, judged for your sins, than to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to give God his proper glory. So now we have Romans chapter 2 and verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now, it is part of the gospel. It is an essential piece of the gospel that we understand that God is right when he judges and that all men are wrong and ought be judged. And the Bible teaches it's appointed for men once to die and then judgment and let me tell you, I've already been there. I'm dead with Christ. I've been judged. The punishment for my sins has been laid upon him. He's already suffered for them. I'm on the other side. I have passed through death into life. And so has anybody who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 5. But this book of Romans is going to go further than this. It's going to tell us what sinners we are. We've got two full chapters telling us more about the way we're sinners, and it's a difficult road to trod. We don't like hearing these things about ourselves, but we need to, and they're every bit true. So I 
hope and I pray that you'll stick with us in this broadcast and you'll continue to learn what a wretched sinner you are and that when you've learned that, that you'll come to the fountain that is in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved from your sins.